0: You know, in order for there to be fellowship or communion between God and His offspring, and I remind you that Paul said to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17 and verse 28 that we are God's offspring. We need to keep that in mind, who we are to God. He is our Father and we are His children, but in order for there to be a communion between us there has to be communication taking place between us. God must, in some way, communicate Himself and what He wants to us, and we need to have some way to be able to speak our praises and our needs to Him. Tonight I don't want to talk with you about God's powerful voice. We have a God different than all of the idol gods, different than all of the so-called false gods that have inhabited the minds and imaginations of people throughout our world, because our God really communicates. Our God has spoken. Our God has revealed himself in a way that there can be no doubt, but that he exists and that he wants something of us, that his expectations are realistic, and he gives us the information we need to be able to communicate with him as we praise him and as we pray to him. In the very first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, and in verses 27 and 28, we are told there that God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them, and God blessed them. And God said, Don't overlook those two little words, they're powerful. God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. The first human pair, God spoke to them. They did not have to wonder about his presence, they did not have to guess about his existence. They had a personal relationship with him and a communication with him because though they didn't see his face, they certainly heard his voice. In the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, the Holy Spirit says to us, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Hugo McCord's translation says, Long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at various times and in many ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Now I want to think with you for just a moment, and I don't want you to go to sleep just yet. I want you to make sure that you get what I'm about to say because this might be the most important segment of this lesson as we get started with it tonight. God has spoken, this passage says, in many different ways. Have you ever considered how many different ways God spoke to various people as we read about them in the Bible? God spoke, of course, directly to Adam and Eve as we have just noted there in Genesis chapter one. But if you go to Genesis chapter 15, you find that there were times when God spoke to Abram through visions. I suppose we could call those dreams or trances or some such thing where there was some panoramic view in his mind about what God was saying or what God was wanting. We do know in Jacob's case in Genesis chapter 31 and verse 11 that God did communicate and speak to him in a dream, not unlike What you and I might have laid down at night to dream, if you know what a dream is there, sometimes God used dreams in that era of time to be able to communicate His wishes to someone. In the 11th chapter of Numbers, in verse 25, we read about God speaking to Moses from a cloud. A cloud. That was where the voice of God came from. And of course, There were other times when God spoke to Moses initially out of a burning bush, you might recall, in Exodus chapter 3. Job said in Job the 38th chapter in verse 1 that God spoke to him from a whirlwind. And then we also know, of course, just as it's mentioned in this passage, that there were myriads of prophets, mouthpieces that God used, men whom he inspired To put words in their mouths so that they could take his words to people everywhere, everywhere, at every time. But here's what I want you to notice. In these last days, how has God spoken? Is God still speaking to us directly? Is God still speaking to us in a vision? Should we expect to lie down tonight and have a dream and in that dream God is going to be revealing himself or something to us? Should we expect as we see a cloud or a burning bush to have the voice of God leap from it? Or should we expect when a tornado rips up across uh, North Texas that in that whirlwind maybe God is trying to tell us something or God is trying to communicate to us? Absolutely not. Because the Bible tells us exactly how God does His talking today. How does God do His speaking? In these last days, the days in which you and I have been living and all those before us since the cross of Christ, we live in these last days and God speaks to men today through His Son. Now that's pretty simple to me. And it's something that we need to know because... How many times do you have somebody say to you that they've heard from God or that God has been speaking to them or that God has been leading them to do this or to do that or He's been urging them or nudging them in some way or the other to decide on this or that? I don't know what this passage means if it does not mean that the only way by which God is communicating His will today is through His Son. And that is a very important point that we need to make, and I hope you'll stay awake now for the rest. But I don't want you to go to sleep on that one. I want you to know that the way God communicates is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, our God's voice is heard through Jesus. Isn't that what that passage says? Does everybody agree with me that that passage is telling us that God's voice today is coming through His Son, Jesus? Well, let me take you a little further into the words of Jesus and see what he tells us about this process of God speaking through him and what he does with the words of God himself. Go with me to the 14th chapter of John, excuse me, the 17th chapter of John and verses 4 through 8. Here is what Jesus says in a prayer which he prayed on the night before his crucifixion the next day. He said to God, he said, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Notice, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know, verse 7, that everything you have given me is from you. Notice, for the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. Now just let that soak in, like the butter on your bread. Just let that soak in. What is he telling us? This is Jesus. God spoke to us in these last days through his son. His son has been speaking to certain men. In this passage, he's speaking of whom? The apostles whom he had appointed. He spoke the words that God had given to him, to them, and they came to speak those words to other people. I have given those words to them. They received those words. They understood I came forth from you. They believe that you sent me. Jesus is telling us there that the word of the apostles is also the voice of God speaking to us, right? Isn't that a logical deduction to be made from the way in which Jesus expresses this situation? To assure the accuracy of the recall and the delivery of everything that he had taught them and would later reveal to them, he promised these men while he was living that he would send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would be a helper. The Holy Spirit would be a guide for them. And you could go and read this in John, the 14th chapter, verses 16 to 17, and in chapter 16, verses seven through 13, where in particular he tells them that the Spirit would guide them into all truth. And so their preaching and their writings constituted God's Word to all men today, and the Holy Spirit caused it to be written. And when you come to this well-worn passage in 2 Timothy 3, it says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, meaning that it's God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So I guess what I'm trying to get across to us tonight is that God is speaking to us today through the word of His Son, yes. But His Son said, I have also delegated those words to the apostles as they have been revealed in scripture so then faith then comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god so now what about that fellow who says to you you know the lord spoke to me yesterday and told me this or that what about that fellow who says you know i was dreaming while i was asleep last night and i am just certain that the lord is trying to communicate a message to me in that dream Or I had a fellow one time say, you know, the Lord sat right down on the end of my hospital bed here. (laughs) And he made a promise to me. And I made a promise to him. Or some other similar statement like that. We have people telling us all the time that God speaks to them. That the Lord, Jesus Christ, speaks to them. And he does speak to them. How does he speak to them? He speaks in the way we've defined it tonight. No, he doesn't sit on your hospital bed or come to you in dreams and visions or make some whirlwind come across the country with which to frighten you or to make you realize something that you didn't think about before. I think in view of biblical teaching, we're finding here that God is speaking, yes, and he's speaking very powerfully and he's speaking very clearly, but he is speaking, of course, through his word. Somebody says, But you know, the experience of hearing God speaking directly would have to be an indescribable, exhilarating experience. Well, I'm sure it was. We're going to take a look at that in just a moment. But the same people that sometimes think that they want God to be speaking directly to them and revealing things to them and whispering in their ear, so to speak, His will and His way and the things that He wants to teach us, have no idea what it was really like, I don't think, to actually have a conversation with God or to have God really and truly speak to you. I remember on one occasion going through some similar material like this with a fellow in a personal study about how God speaks to people today and he was telling me that, you know, I I read the Bible but he said the Bible's a drag. Now if God were to be speaking to me, he said I'd sit up and pay attention. I said, well, You know, the Bible is God speaking to you, so sit up and pay attention. Let me inform you that God is doing his best. He's screaming at you and you're not listening. He's telling you, here's my word, here are my prophets, here are my apostles, here is my son. Listen to what I have to say to you. I'm afraid people like that have been listening to the voice of another God. Because the God of the Bible, the God of whom we've been speaking so frequently this week, It isn't what those people in the Bible would recognize as the God that just runs around all the time speaking to everybody. By the way, let me interject this thought. I think there is a misunderstanding among Christians generally that there was an age or that there was a time where God went around just indiscriminately talking to everybody. If you'll take your Bible and go dig a little deeper deeper in it than we sometimes like to do, I think what you'll find out is that there were relatively few people in the Scriptures who ever heard a direct word from the Lord. And sometimes when they did, it was many, many years between that instance and another instance of hearing from the Lord. That would be true in the life of Abraham, I know for certain. And it would be true in the lives of many of those other people, even those who were sometimes called upon God to be His prophets. There's never been a time, folks, that God just went randomly through the world talking to just anybody and everybody for no reason except that He wanted to shock somebody or surprise somebody or cause somebody to wonder whether or not they were hearing things or losing their mind. That's not the way God's done this. God has spoken. He's spoken in divers' manners. He's spoken at different times in different ways. But He has, in this generation, of which we are a part, spoken through His Son. I want you to think with me for just a moment about how authoritative and powerful the voice of God actually is. Look with me at the 33rd Psalm, verse 4, where He says, "...the word of the Lord is right, and all His works are done in truth." He loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke. And it was done. He commanded And it stood fast. That's power to be able to speak and to have those kinds of things come about just by saying, let there be. Isn't that amazing when you read Genesis chapter 1 that all God did was say, let there be, and there was. He didn't have to say it twice. He didn't have to revise it after he said it and said, "Mm, that's not exactly the way I envisioned this. Let's try that again. He got everything done exactly the way He intended it for to be done in one command on each of those days of creation. That's power. That's authority. I'm thinking now of Psalm 29 verses 1 through 9 where it says ascribe to the Lord O sons of the mighty ascribe to the Lord glory and strength ascribe to the Lord the glory due to His name worship the Lord in holy array the voice of Of the Lord is on the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf. And Syrian, that's a constellation, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. What else could you say? After observing the powerful voice of the Lord and what he's able to accomplish just by communicating his will, just by speaking what he wants done. Folks, we need to be impressed with the fact that our God, as powerful as he is here, has spoken to us, people who have free will, and we decide whether or not we're going to listen to this powerful voice. What do you think should be done when a voice this powerful speaks how many voices did you hear today i heard one most of the day because i was with my wife for most of the day i heard several voices this morning among brethren here at 10 o'clock when we were meeting for the early bible study today and uh, i may have heard ricky and jordan a little more than i heard anybody else in having a bite of lunch with them But I will tell you that there was not a voice in the crowd that was as powerful as God. There was not a voice at all that I heard at any point in time today that after it was finished, I said, glory! (laughs) Sometimes you have those days, don't you, where the voice just keeps coming and you say, would you please be quiet? Can you imagine anyone saying that to God? And yet, He made us with the same free will He Himself has so that if we choose to turn him off, you can turn him off. He did not make us robots that had no choice but to hear what he had to say and do what he commanded us to do with no volition, no choice, on our own. This is remarkable to me. And in a very important and impressive New Testament passage in Hebrews chapter 12, God is telling us that we in the Christian age have come to something greater than the mountain that shook and trembled and burned when God spoke from Sinai. Listen to these words. I don't apologize for their length. He says, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. Let me stop right there and tell you, he's talking about the children of Israel around the base of Mount Sinai. This was their experience there. They asked God to speak to God and ask Him not to speak anymore because they weren't sure they could bear it any longer. They were absolutely terrified with what was coming from there. For they could not bear, verse 20, the command... If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you, he says, Christians, have come to Mount Zion, not to Mount Sinai but to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns us from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven." This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is a passage we talked a little bit about Sunday. But what we did not emphasize was this part about his voice. And let me tell you that the voice of God at one time just shook the earth. And now the voice of God not only shakes the earth, but he said it also shakes the heavens. And this is an obvious reference to the prophecy that Haggai made. In chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, that's fulfilled in the age of Christ and that God speaks even more powerfully now than then. Now, nail that down. God speaks powerfully. You may be saying, well, it would seem to me that God would have spoken more powerfully back in the day when he worked a few miracles on the side. That God's speeches were much more readily accepted back in the day when Jesus was actually alive and was walking among men and they could see Him and they could hear Him and they could observe Him. That that would have been more powerful than what we have. But what He's saying in this text is the exact opposite. He may be speaking by different means but His voice is heard in heaven. His voice is heard in earth. These scriptures that we've been speaking about tonight are his word and they are as powerful even more powerful even more powerful than if he had leaned down and whispered them in your ear some people think they want God talking to them he is the question is he's not talking to you like you think God would do so and that's making God into what you want him to be rather than him being what he is and he speaks to us in these last days through his son what's the human response to the word of someone so great and good as this god who speaks so powerfully well there you have it back up there in verse 25 he said see to it then that you do not refuse him who is speaking For those who did not escape, or those did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from Him who warns from heaven. I've been trying to tell you this week that the whole purpose of these lessons that we've had together has been to try to uh, get rid of the casualness with which we have approached our God, and the carelessness sometimes with which we handle His Word. You know... This is not anywhere close to the United States Constitution. There are a lot of people who think the United States Constitution is a divinely inspired document. That's sacrilege for a Christian to say that. As fine a document as the United States Constitution is, it didn't come from God. It didn't come from the mind of the Holy Spirit. It was not given from the Great I Am. And that's no knock against the Constitution. But it is what it is. And the Word of God is what the Word of God is. And we need to not treat it flippantly or carelessly. The former idea of someone who has decided that he's just going to be careless with God's Word and only do what he finds acceptable in the Word of God is probably the cause of a lot of people making God into what they want God to be rather than what He is. That's not the way people in the Bible responded to God at all. In fact, there were great men of faith who responded to the voice of God, like Adam. And I'm thinking just now that when God asked Adam in the garden of Eden, where are you? And Adam finally had to respond. He said, I heard your voice and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. It kind of reminds me of the time when Jesus borrowed Simon Peter's boat to use it as a pulpit. Do you remember that episode in Luke chapter five? And when he had finished his sermon, he told Peter to launch out into the deep for a catch of fish. And Peter told him, he said, Lord, we've been out there all night long. We've been fishing as best we know how. There were no fish to be caught. We brought back into land. But he said, I'll tell you, if this is what you want us to do at your word, we'll go back out and we will let down our nets. And they caught so many fish that the boat was about to sink, and they called for another boat, and they filled that boat up with fish too. And in Luke, the fifth chapter, verse 8, Simon Peter saw it, and he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He had doubted the word of the Lord. He had doubted what God had said. The prophet Isaiah describes his feelings when the Lord called him to the prophetic ministry in chapter 6. He said, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is what you do when you come face to face with the magnificence of God, with the majesty of God. You see how paltry you are. You see how inadvisable it is to even raise a question, much less an objection to the Lord about anything he may have said in his word. And in the first chapter of Revelation, the Apostle John described the circumstances of that revelation that came to him from the Isle of Patmos, and he said, I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead Man, my friends, these kinds of interactions that people had with the great and awesome God, the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when they came into the presence of this almighty God and they were actually hearing His words from His mouth, this is how they react. Why should we not be so respectful when we find ourselves reading the Bible together? When we open up the Word of God, it's not fiction. When we open up the Word of God, we're not reading some marvelous book that some scholar has produced about a certain subject somewhere. We're reading the words of life. We're reading the words of eternal life given by God through the Holy Spirit. And when we are confronted with the voice of God, how are we to respond? Oh, these people... That we're reading about here loved god no question they loved god and with a full realization of their sinful humanness when they were comparing themselves to god and standing in his presence they saw how pitiful they really were and they couldn't help but prostrate themselves before him in deep deep humility and reverence and truly hear what he had to say if you're thinking along with me you've already thought tonight of where matthew chapter 17 might fit into this discussion because there was an occasion when jesus took peter and james and john with him up onto a mountain and there he was transfigured before them and that was a significant occasion peter you know peter peter was such an impetuous fellow he wanted to do something special to commemorate this thing that he had had happened to him there on the mountain and he wanted to build three worship places Three tabernacles, one for Moses and one for Elijah and one for Jesus, and he just thought that would be the honorable thing to do. Here was Moses, the greatest lawgiver that Israel had ever known. Here was Elijah, who was reputed to be the greatest prophet that Israel had ever been sent. And here was Jesus, the very Son of God. You couldn't pass over that occasion without marking it in a significant way. And while Peter was making plans, To build his tabernacle and to get all of this honorable stuff built and set up for these three notables. Here's what God said. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard that, they all fell on their faces and were sore afraid. I've wondered sometimes, why didn't they fall on their faces when they saw Moses for the first time? Why didn't they fall on their faces when they saw dead Elijah for the first time? These were two of their heroes of the faith that they'd never seen. They'd never met. They'd never been around. And it obviously required miraculous activity to bring Moses and Elijah and Jesus transfigured before them. They witnessed it. Oh, they were excited about it. But it was the voice of God that set them on their heels. When they heard what God said, they fell on their faces out of fear. Because what God said was, As great as Moses is, as great as Elijah is, as worthy of respect as both of those servants of mine are, they are not my son. And my son is the one that ought to be listened to. My son is the one through whom in these last days I am speaking and revealing my will and my way. You know, the apostle Peter never forgot this circumstance. And in his epistle of 2nd Peter he refers to that instance when he says we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He certainly was, wasn't he? You couldn't say it any other way standing on the mount of transfiguration but to say we saw something spectacular there. We saw the majesty of our Lord Jesus when we were on that mountain. And he said not only that, but he said he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice, this voice, Peter said, this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as into a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts so know this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation if you followed what peter has said just there and that's our last passage what you're seeing him say is as exhilarating as it was to be on that mountain and to listen to what jesus was saying and What Moses was saying and what Elijah was saying and finally what God said to us about this is my beloved son he said as confirming as that was for my faith he said we have also now a more sure word what Peter think was more evidentiary that God's word is true than just hearing God speak on top of a mountain somewhere Peter said This word is exactly what that is. This word that's been preserved. This word that has been given to all of us. God speaks to us today in the scriptures. And he absolutely speaks no other way. And as we've learned tonight, we'd best not refuse it. And we had best not reject it. Now, my friend, if you are not a Christian tonight, I beg of you to think about becoming one this evening. I don't know how much knowledge you have of Jesus and what you know or don't know about His life and about His work and about His teaching, but I beg of you to give consideration tonight to becoming a child of God. And, and the reason that I say that is because everything that the Scriptures are about are pointing us to Jesus and we've seen tonight that he is god's spokesman and then we've further seen that he says we should not be refusing him who speaks you do not want to walk away from jesus refusing him you have the liberty to do it yes you are a free moral agent you can choose to be obedient to the lord or you can choose to be disobedient to the lord But you will be eternally grateful if you will decide to give your life and your heart to Jesus tonight. Confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Even before we leave this building tonight, that can be arranged. If that's what your desire is to do. I've been trying to instill in myself as well as everybody that will listen. A deeper reverence and fear of God especially among those of us, the most of which tonight, are already believers, people who say we love God, people who claim to praise God and to worship God. How much reverence do we really have for Him? Because the irreverent and disrespectful manner in which many people are approaching God in life today and in worship is without doubt the root cause of the breakdown of our social order, if nothing else. Not enough just to be religious folks. The world's full of religious people. The question is, are they listening to Jesus? The question is, are those religious people taking the words of Jesus and saying, these are the words of God, and we can't just claim to be Christians in name. We have to be Christians indeed, doing what God has called upon us to do. It's not enough just to be a church member. It's not enough just to have a pretty good record of attending church. When people assemble to worship God in reverence and in godly fear, when people come to worship a God whose name is to them holy and reverend, when they respect God as much as they would some human dignitary they were trying to honor, then that makes a difference, you see. When in our coming to a building like this for purposes for which we've assembled tonight and at other times where we're coming together in the name of God, to honor God, to glorify God, to uphold his word as I've tried to do tonight, this is not like a neighborhood barbecue. This is not like a ball game in a football stadium somewhere. This is not like a chamber of commerce meeting or a neighborhood association meeting that you might attend. This is a meeting that has been called in God's name. It is a place where God's name is to be holy and reverend. If it's not to be found anywhere else, it should be that way in this place where the people of God have congregated themselves to offer worship to Him. I think reverence and fear of God will eliminate the distracting human innovations in worship today that are tearing a lot of churches apart because the focus should never be on us. The focus should always be on God. The focus should always be on His holiness, His greatness, His goodness, His severity, and not on all the new and amusing, self-focused novelty, the fads that come and go when people think, well, this is the way to do things now. Fear of God will result in people being obedient. Fear of God will result in people saying, I want to know what God teaches on something because I want to do what God teaches me to do about that. Not what some man told me, God thinks. I want to know what God has to say. It's this contemptible casualness about deity, especially about the things that are holy and sacred that's absolutely destroying us. And I'm begging of us to get a hold of it now before we reach the point of no return. Because nations have gone that way, you know, through time. Churches have gone that way through time where they've gotten to the point where there was no fear of God in their eyes. And whatever God had to say to them, they ignored. And a case in point are the nations of Israel and Judah. The nation of Judah fell after the nation of Israel. And it gave us, of course, ultimately the Savior, Jesus, who came through the lineage of David in the tribe of Judah. But let me tell you, if God would let that nation go into captivity because of its ungodliness and because of its disobedience, then He will let this nation, His people today, I'm not talking about a political entity at this point, I'm talking about the people of God. Just as Judah were the people of God, And they were carried off into captivity because of their willfulness and because of their determination not to listen to what God had to say to them. Churches can go into apostasy. We're always only one generation from that, by the way. There's never a time where we can relax and act as if everybody's always going to be faithful to the Lord. We pray that they will, but it'll be their choice to make just as it was our choice to make when we were making the choices. And the only way people can be prepared for that is to finally and most elementarily have this fear of God. And when that's lost, then everything that is dear and sacred and holy will go down the tubes with it. I hope that's impressive to you. I'm trying my best to be faithful and hoping that I can encourage other people to be. Because great is our God, above all gods. There is none like Him, none can compare, no God His equal, no Prince His heir. He's done so much, He continues to do so much, and He's not through doing what God only can do. And When that great day comes, I want to be those among those who for centuries have loved Him, served Him, looked for Him and anticipated eternity with him. You need to have that same assurance tonight. We wanna to help you have it. We'll do everything we can to open up a Bible if you have questions and show you the word of the Lord that'll help you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let us know how we can help you as we now stand and sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at the questions at the We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.